Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the RAG podcast, I've decided to do something different, okay? You may or may have not have heard that I got, I've got i been away for the last few weeks. I got married. I've got a nice little tan and I've got a nice ring on the finger. Um, as a result of that, I haven't interviewed any recruitment owners for a couple of weeks, so I haven't got a fresh episode for you. There will be a brand new episode next week. However, this week, I want to bring back to life an episode I recorded a few years ago. An episode that has probably yielded the most views and and plays and been spoken about the most across the sector. And that was with James Brown, the CEO of the Levin Group. Now, the Levin Group is a group of recruitment businesses known as Storm 2, Storm 3, Storm 4, Storm 5, and Storm 6. Launched in 2019, I believe. Um, I interviewed James in early 2021 when the, the business was about 100 or so people. They've now got to 600 staff and they published 44 million US dollars in net fee income in their third full year, which is bonkers. They are the fastest growing recruitment company on the planet. One of the fastest growing companies on the planet. James, in, a, in this episode, in, it was in lockdown in early 2021. James talked about the story, talked about the mad ideas and pretty much everything he said would, was going to happen has come true. Now, I am going to interview James and the team again this year to talk about it in real time. But I thought, while I've got a gap, and I know you guys enjoy listening to this show each week, why not bring back the episode and replay an episode that went down so well? So let's get, we'll go back to a couple of years ago and listen to James Brown's story and why he built the Levin Group with the vision to be the fastest growing recruitment company on the planet. Hope you enjoy it. I'm super excited to be joined by someone I've known for a couple of years now. Um, James Brown is the founder and CEO, I think. He's changed his title a couple of times on LinkedIn recently, um, of the Levin Group, which is a founding group of a number of recruitment brands such as Storm 2 and soon to be Storm 3 and Storm 4. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about this than I have been for a while because as James is officially the fastest growing recruitment brand in the world right now. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible what he's achieved in the last 18 months since starting the business. So I, you know, let's just get into it. James, welcome to the rag podcast. Thanks, Sean. Just to, to caveat the, the, the job title thing, I, I kept titles off of it to avoid accountability as much as possible. <laughs> um, when it goes well, I'll, I'll put my name to it. Can A you bit- not put technical lead on there? Because you are the most disaster, the biggest disaster with technology getting onto the show I've ever had. I, I only found out the other day that I didn't have an iPhone. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, 
I'm not the most tech-enabled person in the world, but uh, yeah, if, if the business goes well, then I'll 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 call myself something on LinkedIn. If it doesn't, I'll just yeah. quietly slide off social media and, and disappear. <laughs> well, don't call yourself CTO because that's just lying. That's all I'm saying. Um, we yeah. already had a few comments. The likes of um, James Weiser has just tuned in. Afternoon, excited for this one, um, James. Good to have you on. Um, and you know, I'm I'm super excited. So, James, before we get into the show, you know, I've done a little intro there, but. I can never, ever do it justice. So for the listener's benefit, please tell us who you are and, and what you do. Um, well, uh, I, I guess uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it sort of relevant to the audience. So I, my story is I joined Faden International, which at the time was called Selby Jennings in 2008 as a graduate out of university. And uh, sort of first job out of university, just like everyone else. And, um, you know, didn't really have an idea what I'd signed up to until until I got onto the sales floor and, and started uh, getting told to dial the phone a couple of hundred times a day until, you know, as long as you didn't see daylight, you were working hard enough. Um, and then worked through a couple of promotions and went to Singapore after three years to launch the Asia Pack business for, for Faden. Uh, and then came back in 2016 to, to uh, sort of, take European under my wing as well as group MD um so that was sort of I, I guess where it's be the beginning of the end um started I, I was sort of you know 30 years old uh leading circa 300 people across five countries um and sitting on the exec board and then I exited Fade in 2018 following the acquisition by Quillvest private equity um which was largely largely you know, to fulfill an ambition of launching um, my own sort of global recruitment business, and but but specifically specialising in disruptive tech sectors. If okay. that helps, yeah, it does. So you've got that. We'll go into the background. We'll go right back to it. All. Okay. Oh god. You effectively exited Faden 2018. You launched Storm Two in when was it? The summer of 2019 was it? Yeah, I mean, I registered the company uh, a few months earlier, and then I basically spent six months sort of going back and forth in my mind as to what the whole company was going to be about. Um, not all procrastinating, I think, is the word for that. Yeah, we, had a few, we had a few meetings at that point, if you remember. I had loads of meetings that went no, yeah, yeah. yeah I was, I was just trying to fill my diary and get out of the house um, because I think, you know, uh, I was trying to. I, I, I mean, that, that was whatever anyone says. Like starting a business is a dark and lonely place. I, you know, there, there was some. Some days when I was just I just stare at a wall and didn't really, you know I couldn't work out where this was all going. But um, you know when I finally got my act together um, after being introduced to um, Puffin Point, who were the uh, backers behind the Spencer Ogden story, uh, we launched the business in anger in July um, with a couple of guys called um, Jamie Robinson and George Truella. I'll alternate whose name I say first, say first throughout the call, just so I don't you know, get into it, don't, don't insinuate that, that, that either of them were the first person in. Um, um, but yeah, and, 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 and yeah, the three of us then got in the back of a coffee shop and put our heads together and sort of start, started to try and work out what we were going to, what we were going to look like and, 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 and what the philosophy of the business was going to be. And then, right, yeah, and then, I, James, sorry to interject, but yeah. we'll go through all this, right? Just where, where are you right now? Just give an over snapshot of the business today. Uh, I mean, it seems to change weekly at the moment. Um, so where are we today? So we've been going 18 months there or thereabouts um we've got um 50 odd people in storm two which is the first brand uh and um and then some 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 people that have joined the board and support areas around the business um and more people that are coming into the business next week so i guess snapshot of the first 18 months would be um 60 people london and singapore we're just um going through the process of registering the amsterdam entity and and starting the the, the new york license process 
Right. So you've, in 18 months, you've reached around 60 staff and uh, you've, you've not come up for air, I don't think. I mean, I've seen you on numerous occasions and it's always a million miles an hour. So I, I'm, I'm just excited to, there's kind of three parts to this conversation, right? There's what, what did you do before Storm 2? I want to go into that first. And then I'm really excited to find out about the last 18 months and get a bit more detail. And anyone listening live on LinkedIn who's got any questions, please do add them and I'll, I'll get around to them. And then what the hell are you looking to do in the future? Because there's some unbelievable growth plans. Um, so let's go back. So you mentioned you joined as, as a graduate uh, at Faden. Yeah. And you, you were there for how long? Uh, in, in, uh, ten and a half years, officially. How, how big was what was set, just to set the scene of what you walked into on day one? What did the business look like? Uh, a, a basement. I walked into a, I walked, I went, I turned up at this. I mean, basically, Adam, the founder, had, had sort of done a number on me with, with, the, with the business address. Um, I turned up to one Carlton Gardens Mayfair. And then when I walked through the door for my first round interview, I walked down five, five flights of stairs into a basement um, with, with, oh, with no, no lights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what, and what, and what a story that turned out to be. Um, so I, yeah, I basically, I, I sort of got into the basement. I was interviewed by two or three people that are still in the business today um, who rejected me. Um, I think uh, one of the MDs that's at Faden now said that um, who, who sort of ended up you know, working for, for a long time um, said that I wouldn't cut it because uh, I was just a sailor bum. Um, and um and then, yeah, uh, yeah, did, did, got rejected from seven, eight other interview uh, recruitment companies at interview stage. No one wanted to hire me. Everyone thought I was too, uh, too sort of, too not necessarily placid, but just, just you know, too, too, just didn't know what I wanted to do in my life, which is absolutely yeah. true. And then eventually, I got a call back from another manager at Faden, um, a guy called Steve Yendel, who basically took a chance on me because we both supported Liverpool, from what I understand. Uh, yeah. And then I started. A, Started a few shame, months later. It's a shame that you both supported Liverpool. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. That's just yeah. that's just a side problem that you've got to deal with. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like COVID, I referred to COVID nineteen and Liverpool being quite similar last week, which is quite a bad thing to say. So I won't go into that this week. <laughs> probably um, fair. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 joined this business. How many people were in the in the basement? Uh, probably. T- 15 20 or so at the, t- at the time um but i mean i started on the same day as you know eight or nine other people i think i was the only one left after two weeks mm. um so it, you know it was a it was a ho- it was a hardcore environment but obviously faden you know uh, that that period of time gave birth to you know a, a, a raft of people who went on to do really well in the business so i think that you know it, we, we were, everyone was 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 working in a way that probably created the standards and and and, and philosophy that would be sustainable through what was to come in 2008, 2009. Yeah, because you, 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 I, you know, you hear Faden and S3 in a similar light, don't you? Like they're almost like the people that have left S3 have gone and created loads of businesses. And then Faden feels like that now. You know, you're popping out and there's other, there's other leaders coming out of the business. And there's, a, there's clearly a methodology there that has been very, very successful that you guys are looking to use time and time again. What, so what was the size of the business when you left? You went from, say, 15, 20 to what? Uh, just over 500, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, it was, it was literally just over 500 people the day that I walked out. But, but, but growing at the time, you know, it was heading towards so 600 how, people. What would you say, just first open question, like what is that secret sauce? Like what, what's that? Because so many brands have not done that in the time that they have. What, what do you think is behind the, the growth that Faden went through? Um, well... Some of us lost our hair uh, on the journey, and um, and, and others others lost themselves along the way. It was, you know, I think 
brutal brutal hard work i think was you know we, we all i think adam um a guy again the guy who founded it he i think he set the culture in terms of everyone was so bought into the mission that you know if you cut anyone they would bleed faded and you know i think that it's surprising what people will do when they when they really buy into the mission as opposed to just feel like they're getting compensated to play a role and i think that you know um that that almost it wasn't like a, it wasn't a cult culture but you know that siege mentality of us against the world and you know we're doing something that no one else is doing i think brought everyone together to to, to achieve things way above and beyond what they thought they were capable of um and i think that the other part of it was just i think we just i think if you asked anyone in fade and from that from that time you know when when, when the business was really flying through those growth hurdles i think that they would all say that we just set higher standards we you know um if you know if I remember hitting. I think I remember booked, booking twenty six interviews in a week on in my in my third or fourth month in recruitment, and I still remember my boss saying, "Hey, you get into 30. Like that was just like there's just that that constant culture of like, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" And I think that yeah, hard work and high standards, and and then obviously a, a you know a, a really smart strategy being set from the top. But to still, I mean, again, high high standards, hard work. I, I don't think there's many recruitment companies that would say they don't have that, but still haven't got anywhere near it. Is it? Is there like a different level of investment in growth, do you think, than, than in an average business? As in like the percentage of revenue that is invested back in or is there something that's different that, that you Potentially. guys... Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge question and I've obviously got to be careful not to speak on behalf of, of, of Faden now. It's a bit like, yeah. um, I imagine it's a bit like speaking, like speaking about a past relationship, right? But, um, it's not when, it, when it was, I'm in a new one with Levin Group, but, um, you know, I, I, from the business as it was then, and I can speak about that because I was there, um, yeah. You know, I, I think that the, uh, you, you know, the, I guess the things that were unique to the business were um, a very, very smart sort of group and brand structure, lots of incredible cross-selling initiatives where everyone was sort of helping each other along in terms of opening up clients. Um, and I would say an extremely powerful, something I've only ever seen be done as well as as, um, as and was at S3 in terms of the... Um, organic model of bringing graduates through and giving them huge opportunities before they're ready for them that was something you know i don't if there's if there's a unique part about Faden, i don't think there was another business that i've ever heard of that would have taken a punt on a 24 year old like me to send them halfway across the world to singapore to launch an asia pacific business with you know with, with a lot of money being outlaid on that as an, as an experiment you know um and i think that opportunity culture of, of, of handing out ridiculous opportunities to people when they were very young um, just on merit, just on merit rather than age, I think is something that that really set the tone for the for the future growth of the business. Yeah, that, that, that I think that is it. I think that's the secret that you that I was looking for. Um, okay, so when what was the story behind you you making the call that it was time to go? Tell us what. Let's go right to that point. Yeah. So I mean, I'd had I'd had an incredible um, journey at Faden. I think it, it, you know that those, those that, you know that period of time afforded some some incredible experiences. You know, I, I'd I'd travelled the world, had a lot of fun, learned a lot, and and, and made some made some good um, money out of the journey. Um, just speaking very frankly, and um, I think that after the PE acquisition, uh, I took stock of what I wanted from the next ten years of my life. And I didn't really see it in a corporate environment, you know, following others and, 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 you know, I guess sort of standing on the shoulders of the previous success. I think that what I'd, you know, I felt like I'd learned what I wanted to learn from that journey. Obviously, I, obviously there was more to learn, tons more to learn, but I felt like I'd learned what I wanted to learn, which was how to take a business from, you know, nothing to 500 people all around the world and, and had a blueprint and a model in my mind. Um, and obviously there were huge downsides to leaving, massive downsides to leaving. I left a lot of equity and money on the table, um, which was, you know, which, which was tough and, and, and gut wrenching, um, as well as swapping a, a pretty comfy 
exec board role to for, for sitting in my bedroom in my pants adding managers to bullhorn um without a salary uh which is sort of quite a brutal awakening um but what it all came down to was i wasn't i, I just decided i was never going to be able to look myself in the mirror if i didn't back myself to do it and, and make the leaps go all the way back to the beginning again and, and do it from the ground up but try and do it better that was what it came down to and i thought i could have all the money in the world but if i can't look at myself in the mirror and i barely can as it is you know what what, what what's it worth okay so all right so then you you exit and you you're back in that early 2019 phase where we met i think march april you came and saw me we had a good chat i remember thinking i didn't know if you were crazy or what i was like this guy's got some vision that was exciting you you you, you speak at 100 miles an hour anyway so keeping up with you was hard work even then um what what was the vision that you had in that early stage of 2019 like I, yeah, I, I think that um, it, it evolved over time. I, I think that, you know, um, the vision was always to to take the bits that I liked from my previous business and do things where I felt they could be done better in markets where I felt they could be done better. And, and perhaps, you know, with more synergy and, and and maybe with a culture that was more reflective of sort of the modern world that we work in. And I think that that, you know, my, my vision at that moment in time was, OK, let's get in some really hot sectors um, let's work towards a, a globally distributed multi-sector model because that's good for both a risk managed business but also a scalable one um, mm -hmm. and and let's just build something initially where everyone's working incredibly hard making a lot of money um, and, and having a lot of fun that was the initial vision um, because ultimately you know that's what will get you to that next stage of really thinking about where it could go um, and not getting too fixated on you know a thousand person business or blah 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 like initially it's just getting everyone to get over their first deal um so you know i think the vision was let's just create a really really good business and, and enjoy it and then you know i think we knew roughly where we were going with it um and 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 that sort of has evolved over the last over the last 18 months well no over the last 12 months really um right. especially since the pandemic sort of took hold yeah we'll get into that so let's go to why did you get investment like what t let's talk us through that mindset because you didn't do it like most people where they sit they try and build they hire their first person you got institutional investment before you even started, right? Yeah. So I guess that my skill set, you know, I guess what I'd left Faden with was a blueprint and, and I knew how to run, you know, huge distributed teams of, 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 of you know, like I said, two, 300 people across different countries. And, and so going back into my bedroom and getting on the phones doing deals probably wasn't the best use of that knowledge um, and, 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 and wouldn't be capitalizing on it. So um, I got, you know, obviously after leaving Fade and spending some time out and I got, was getting approached by a lot of different investors because, you know, they, uh, uh, some of them were as, as blunt as, can you just build us what you did at Fade and again, and then, you know, that, nothing much more. Um, others want, you know, wanted, you know, sort of too much control and, 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 and others didn't necessarily share the vision. Um, but, and, and I wasn't necessarily, you know, really set on the idea of taking investment. Um, but I was introduced to, to um, Puffin Point and, and Edward Ogden, who were the lead investors in the Spencer Ogden journey. And um, I think there was just an immediate synergy between us all. Um, you know, they were incredibly ambitious. Um, they had proof of, you know, they had a proof of concept in the way that, that they backed Spencer Ogden all the way through to PE exit through, through a 10 year journey. They understood recruitment um, and they, but they also understood, you know, sort of what kind of relationship would be needed between us and, you know, and between, you know, being two hands on or two hands off. And, and they understood that I would, you know, they understood very much that I needed to kind of, you know, own this um, because I had so many reasons why I, I didn't want it to fail outside of, you know, not letting investors down that were personal to me. 
Um, and yeah, they, you know, I think that once after I came away from those initial meetings, I, 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 I you know, I don't think I look back at it, it. What annoyed me actually, sorry, you've set off something in my mind now. What really annoyed me was I kept reading all these books about like, just Silicon Valley style companies where investors seem to chuck money at academically gifted people with good ideas, but no clue. Almost swore then. I don't know what the rules are about that, but no oh, clue. Do, you want. do what you want. Yeah, that's that's a slippery slope. So <laughs> we're just let's just keep. I I put that mental. I put the trading wheels back on my my mind. So um so you know you got all these smart people getting like loads of money chucked at them from investors just because they had a good idea and a PhD from Stanford. To, to build huge teams when none of these people have ever built teams before. They don't know how to hire and manage teams and scale at 2,000%. And I kept thinking, this is madness. Like, I, I, every book I read, I just like churning through all these Silicon Valley books. And, and I was thinking, well, if I know how to scale a business and how to operate one at scale, there's huge market demand. I think we can attract the talent and nothing that we're going to do in this plan is going to be something we haven't done before. Why can't a recruitment company be scaled like a tech company? Like, why, why, is, that, why is that not a thing? Like, why, why, why can no one, why has that never been challenged before? Um, and, um, you know, that was really the philosophy behind this. That you know, We've got a plan. Why wait for the, you know, recruitment businesses traditionally grow a bit, scale at 20, 30% year on year, you know, grow a bit more, keep scaling, grow a bit more, keep on scaling. They do it over a sort of 10 to 20 year period. But tech companies seem to blow up out of nowhere into 250 person, person businesses overnight just because someone's got a smart idea. So um, I think that, you know, somewhere between the middle there, there was a conversation around, look, why wait? Why should we wait until we've, you know, built, built up our cash reserves? We, we know this is going to work. So um, let's just go for it. And, and, and yeah, yeah, if it works, then, then I'll take credit for it. If not, it was probably, you know, George and Jamie and Alex that is their ideas. <laughs> so so you, you, what, what was life like at the beginning then? You've, you've secured the funding, so you've got a big amount in the bank. I imagine, right? You then, what did you do first with it? Went Lamborghini shopping. Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so you um, up on day one looking good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can't afford the office, but this car is fantastic for lunch clubs. Um, <laughs> no, we. Um, the, 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 honestly, the very first thing we did, I, I when I, so I'd, I'd gone through the fundraise, right, and I'd gone through those conversations, and and you know was feeling really bullish about it. But as I said, you know, J- Jamie and George were two people that I spoke about with the business initially, and. They were the ones that had the plan. You know, I think I was like, look, I've got this direction and this idea. And we sat in the back of the coffee shop and, you know, George is incredibly talented um, at, at what he did. And he said, look, this is, should be our client approach. This is how we should start. And Jamie, um, you know, is, is outstanding at, at developing teams and, and, and the people side of it and, and, and hiring and training. And, and he came up with a plan to kind of put all that into place. So I don't actually remember kind of nailing it all down myself. I just remember the three of us sitting around in a room going back and forth on whiteboards with coffees from Pret, just like working it out. That was the first thing we did. We just sat in a coffee shop and tried to work, figure out how the, how the hell we we're going to do it. Now we've done it. How, how are we going to got the money? How are we going to do it? Um, and that was it. Those were exciting times. Gritty yeah. time. Grit, gritty times. Monday nights on Brick Lane can be a bit ropey, but um, but, 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 then but fun, you fun took, time. You went and got that office in, was it Flora or Flora or something over in? Flora, yeah. So so we I, I'd always worked predominantly with Knight Frank in the past and, and and they've always been really good at finding us um you know awesome office space that, that, that and, and immediately came up with this you know but I got I got I had a number done on me basically but in terms of like I think you know everyone can see what I want initially which is like you know I wanted I wanted brick I wanted exposed brickwork I wanted to feel like a tech company I wanted a really good location and a you know and and and, and a really tech enabled building so I thought if we're going to grow like a tech company let's not you know let's not Let's let's try and sit in a tech hub, and you know all of our all of the companies in our building were sort of you know um, t- tech focused companies, and um, yeah, got the office. Office was awesome, um, and then but we outgrew it. I remember I remember meeting you when you first started, and you were, it was just like you plus um, 
the two guys, they got Jamie and George going, Oh, yeah, we're interviewing loads of people. Like, we're hiring 20 people or something. What was the exact? You had like a start date and you had like 20 hires or something. I, I think it was August that basically we phoned up. We, I think. I think August, I think August the first, something like that. We, we we just said, right, we need to hire twenty people. We have got three weeks to do it. Um, go, and then we just, we just, I think we basically into we with three of us. It was like a, it was like a weird speed dating situation. Uh, like it, it was, it we sort of sat in different parts of the building, and grads were just like walking around the building, bumping into. It was almost like a haunted house of horrors. You know what I mean? Like people would walk up a bit and bump into someone else. Well, oh, yeah. I've got some questions for you. Um, and then I think we did. If my memory serves me correctly, we did 167 first round interviews in 10 working days between the three of us and, um, uh, and then ended up hiring um, sort of an initial group of people. And, and, and many of those people are still with us today and, and, and are taking, you know, leading roles in, in taking the business to the next part of the, part of the story. So how many did you take on? Can you remember? 18. Yeah, I want to say 18. Someone yeah. might have backed out the day before and saved themselves a lot of bother. So you but, bring in yeah. 18 grads who don't yeah. know anything about recruitment. You've got you three. You're, you're not really getting on the phone at this point. Or you're not, that's not your plan, is it? So what was the next six? I remember, you, I remember your Christmas party video and you showed me a few things. So you had like a four or five month window up to Christmas. Did you have moments where you were like, what, what am I doing? Like, uh, like, that was just one long moment most of the time. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't... I, it was... Yeah, it's madness. I, I, I felt, you know, the grads were looking at us and, and going, what's the plan here? And sometimes I'd go, I don't know. I'm not actually sure here. Like, I, you know, I'm not, I think we've sort of got a plan and, or they'd ask me questions about Bullhorn and I'd just sort of, I'd, I'd, I'd try to turn it into like a coachable moment. I'd say, well, you know, what maybe you could work. Yeah, what do you think? How do you, what, what, what do you think would happen if you click that other button? And then they'd, they'd click it and I'd go, there you See? go. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what they're, that's oh. where, that, that's the big money right there. <laughs> Those skills. So, so- how did performance go? Because you had you had all these grads. What were the billings like in the first six months? So uh, the billing, yeah, pretty good actually. We we were I, I was surprised. Um, it was um, we we had uh, I think we had yeah we had deals going up in in sort of back end of the second, early of the third month, um, and yeah, we, I mean we we were achieving our budgets. I mean, and actually, largely, you know, going into yeah, uh, April we were sort of tracking really well ahead of budget and we were doing better than we thought we would. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, the first six months we had, you know, launched on that day and then we had, we had Christmas, Brexit and COVID all in the first six months. And we had no candidates, no clients and 20 grads. And I didn't know how to use the systems. So uh, it was like, it, no, nothing was really set up. It's just incredible, isn't it? Nothing what, was really set up for what, success. Yeah, exactly. What, we didn't even talk about the, the market, right? So you chose, why did you choose FinTech for Storm 2? I think that I think that a lot of businesses want to do fintech, right? But a lot of the businesses that are positioned to do fintech are large scale corporates that have been around for 15, 20, 30 years. And it's just too hard for them to pivot and get into it. Do you know what I mean? In the same way that Goldman Sachs and HSBC and banks like that probably want to get into, you know, fintech, you can't change a long history of of incumbent methodology and people and systems and processes to just it's like turning an oil tanker. You can't just suddenly get into something. And I think that that was, you know, I think that, you know, I recognize that, it, it, you know, Fade is obviously a great business, it, but it, it's set up in long-term markets that have been around for, 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 for a, a very, very long time. And they're deeply entrenched in them. And it's and it sort of, as, a, as, a business, as any business, not just Faden, but any business gets bigger above a certain size, it becomes hard to react to market opportunities. And I think that FinTech was exploding. Uh, there was tons of investment going into it, um, you know, and, 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 and um, CEOs didn't seem to have any clear idea um, about, 
you know where they're going to find their people I, I, I was going to i was going to fintech conferences and i hate conferences like i, I, I hate talking to people uh, which is ironic actually but um i go to these conferences and ask ceos like, where do you you know which recruiters do you use for, for your recruitment and every single ceo i spoke to listed 10 different companies i've never heard of like no one knew where to go there was no like recognized solution so i thought you know like, it sort of became clear over time like we can be that solution and, and also the other reason i chose fintech was you know it's global so we could scale a global business in it um, it's highly specialized, which means the salaries are high um, and they predominantly use perm people. And, 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 and you know, I come from a perm background and, and, and perm is, is the model I wanted to follow. So, you know, I think a globally distributed, um, highly specialized, well-paid and compensated model that commands good fee rates and something that is heavily invested in, you know, that's a good market. And, and also specifically underbroked you know, and underserviced by the wider recruit recruitment community meant there was a, a bit of a gap there. And I'm not saying it was, a, I'm not saying I was the first person to have the idea, but I think, you know, I, I thought if we go big on this, we could really, you know, make a dent quickly. I'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a message from our sponsor, Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one recruitment platform for the most innovative recruitment agencies on the planet. And they've put together a free CRM buyer's guide for you to read because so many recruitment leaders are looking to upgrade CRMs, but before you sign the contract, be sure to read the terms at least twice. There's so many common traps that you need to watch out for. So not understanding the pricing model is one that always comes up. Discounts limited to only the first year of a contract length is something that companies will throw. What are monthly contracts all about? Could this mean flexibility for the vendor to raise the price in the future? And how is your data hosted? Where is it? Is it anything outside your country and could it mean compliance and legal issues for you down the line? So you will see the web address to get that right next to this episode. Wherever you're watching this episode, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just look below, you'll see the link, click the link and get that free guide. You will not regret learning all of these hacks before making your decision and locking yourself into a new contract with a new supplier. That takes us nicely in. We know why you chose the market. You got your 20 grads. You, you track in nicely. You hit Christmas. And then what? Talk, talk us through what life was like for you when COVID started to unfold in March time. I mean, without, yeah, without stating the obvious, it was mental. Like, it, it, it was, I remember, I saw, well, one day I just, I just got on the phone to our IT supplier. I just said, I think, I think we need 20 laptops. And they went, why? I said, because I think the world's ending. I, I think, you know, I don't, I, we need to do something about this. And we literally, they arrived, they arrived the day that we sent, that we decided to send everyone home. And it yeah. all looked like we'd carefully planned it, but it was yeah. chaos. Like Jamie, we were on the phone going, oh, what are we going to do? This is an absolute nightmare. Um, but to be honest, I think that, I, I mean, I, I had a huge advantage in that situation. And, and obviously like, you know, this, everything I'm about, everything I'll, I'll, I'll say about this subject is caveated with obviously the, the the huge and horrendous downsides to COVID, yeah. right? So it's not like a, it's not like I'm celebrating what's happened. It's just the fact that, that it's created opportunity for us on a commercial level, right? Yeah. So you know, I start I started in recruitment two weeks before Lehman Brothers crashed. So I guess I you could say I cut my teeth in chaos, right? And 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 last year, although it was initially incredibly gloomy for the industry. It felt quite familiar to me. I sort of my initial reaction was actually this feels like it did when I first started. I sort of feel I feel almost comfortable in the muck. Do you know what I mean? Comfortable mm -hmm. in a bad situation. So I was quite calm about it. Now obviously there were there were some massively nervy moments. Like our you know that, that there's, there's an amazing line on 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 our systems, which is like our interviews and sales pipeline. It's like you know you couldn't even ski down it. Like it was so bad. And um, 
you know, and obviously we'd only been trading a few months. We'd had a big business. We had a big business that was due to catch up with NFI. We hadn't really built up our cash reserves yet. All our sales and interviews had dropped off a cliff. Everyone was panicking. No one knew what to say. Um, but I think that you know, ultimately, our, you know, I, 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 I believed in the market. I thought the market is good, right? Everything is going to go digital. Obviously, and 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 you know. If, if digital is still going to go the way it's going to go, irrespective of pandemics or no pandemics. And maybe maybe I wasn't as clear on that as I was at the time, but I believed it. Do you know what I mean? I believed it. Whether I knew it or not is, is probably up for debate. Um, and then we looked at the team that we had, and I think I just had a decision to make. I was like, well, what do we do here? Do we capitalise on market share? Now, obviously, Adam in with Faden in 2008, 2009, he used that as an opportunity to double down and take market share whilst you know, competition was weak. And um, you know, actually, you could make a huge leap forward in terms of your piece of the market. And, you know, looking around the room, I thought, actually, you know, we should back our people here. Like, you know, we, if we back our people, we, we might be able to trade our way through this. Let's not make any rash decisions. So, you know, we made that decision. We stuck by our team. Um, we didn't furlough anyone or make any redundancies or make any cuts or anything like that. We just upped all the targets and worked harder than ever. Um, and our sales levels grew through COVID. We actually made more money quarter on quarter through 2020. Um, and that you know, that gave us a massive leap on the market in terms of our position in the space. But also it initiated a conversation with the investors who, who, who you know, who, who were really keen to, to back the plan with more commitment because they said, look, if it's going this well now, imagine how well it's going to go on the other side. So, you know, and, and they, they've, they've always shared our vision and, and values on that. So I think that, you know, I, I use this analogy the other day and, and, and whoever ended up listening to me is going to go mad that I'm using it again on this. But... I was reading about whitewater rafting. Uh, uh, stick with me, right? Um, and yeah. yeah, you won't regret it. You might. I might. Be, the, the preamble is wasting more of people's time than the actual analogy. So, um, is that in competitive whitewater rafting, they, they they did some analysis on where the athletes' eyes were looking, and and this has always stuck me for stuck with me for years. Like, and, and the competitors that focused their eyes and their focus and attention on the rocks and the pitfalls and the, and the, the dangerous water in order to avoid them, ended up in trouble more than the competitors that focused all their attention on the safe patches and blocked out the danger. And they tended to stay in a better place by focusing on the good stuff, right? And, and, and I think that my belief has always been that, you know, if you try and avoid failure, you will most likely always find failure. Whereas if you obsess over success and you will find, then, you, then you'll find it, right? It's a bit like, I always say it to consultants, don't try and not blank, try and build. If you try to not blank, you will blank. Or at least you'll blank, you'll build less than you could. If you obsess over doing 50k, you'll probably worst case scenario, you'll, you'll do, you know, 30 or 40 or or, or 25. Um, so yeah, so I should mention by the, way, by the way, sorry, I should mention the people that did all the work were George and Jamie through that period. Like they they deserve a lion's share for building the company and putting in the hard yards. I, you know, and Alex Horner did some amazing stuff coming in towards the tail end. But um, you know, I think it was it was just but there were some tough decisions to be made. Yeah. So by the way, Alex Gilbert has just said uh, that's a great example. So he uh, enjoyed that. Um, and I get it. I, I get more. So, so what everyone else, and, and I think, uh, you know, probably me me included, you know, have a period of time where you're going, fuck, like this could happen, that could happen. You know, if I was, a lot of people in your seat would be like, you know, I've got all this money. I've got all this pressure. I've got all these grads. I've got fucking brand new laptops. I don't understand the systems. You know, I've not even worked proper about a year or six months out before. Like fucking hell! Like you could have sat there and gone, "What are the chances? What our look? Fucking our look! First year of business, I've got all this money and all this growth, and then it's falling apart." But you didn't. You just went pivot, move, keep keep pushing, um, and then 
you, you mentioned yesterday when we had a pre-chat that, you know, back in August, you then decided to grow again. You started to hire again. Um, so you once that eat out to help out period of time and everyone started to get a bit more flexible, did you did you guys go back to the office? Like, How did you manage that? And what was the decision to then start hiring again? So we just we made the decision to start hiring in July um, and we hired another 20 something um, graduates into the program and sort of tripled the size of the or doubled the size of the business at the time mm-hmm. um, to execute. There's no point having a good idea and backing a strategy if you don't put the people in place to execute it. Um, and we ended up luckily actually we had two or three weeks where everyone was in the office using all the social distancing measures and we have, we've got all the screens and the one-way signs and all that stuff um and and then we went back into sort of, i think then we made the decision that actually it probably wasn't you know it was heading the wrong way and we, i think we've, we've, we've roughly called it each time as to what the right level of in office versus out of office should be um but then we we, we sort of we went into like a half half in half out type rotor system so we got pretty big office and then just had half the people in on an a on an a b rotor um week on week off um which was you know actually a really fascinating learning journey of how to you know get the most out of people in, in, in that in that time what did you i mean having all grads from home a lot of you hear a lot of stories you know graduates working on kitchen tables and ironing boards and you know the typical grad in london lives with their friends they're not they haven't got offices they haven't got like you know like you and i might have some space what was that like for your team uh i mean i think that uh in terms of their personal journeys i think it was very mixed across the board because some some of them went home to you know family homes and, yeah. and worked through there for that period. Others, I think, you know, were, were quite confident it was only going to be a short term thing and, and, and worked, you know, um, in, um, you know, in, in their in their in their apartments and, and accommodation in London. Um, and I think that, you know, I think the half but what we found is that basically half half in, half out, week on, week off is pretty bearable for most people. If in fact it's actually a really good balance because you know, most people, I don't know, I don't know, I, I tend to be sick of the people that I, you know, that, that I used to work with when I was a consultant, sat either side of me all day long. And if I could have a week off every now and then, that'd be good. Um, big shout out to Trevor Simons and Greg Pezant there. Um, and um, the, the, I think that the, the, the message was definitely, you know, to everyone, look, just we just got to kind of get through this. But my message to everyone was that, like, if this will come back, the market will come back. It's kind of up to you, like, you know, how much you want to let it affect you. Like, people have been through worse than this. Like, there are people with actual problems, not just a lack of desk, desk space in the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Like, actual problems. And so, you know, it's all just a mindset of, you know, okay, well, I could complain about my, you know, about, you know, not having a great chair, or I could just get on with it and, you know, and, and then plan to succeed when things come good again. Um, and I think that, you know, I've got, I've got to say, like, the, the people in our business um that, that joined in that august academy were insanely impressive like insanely impressive and i believe that you know if you, if you hire if you if you hire really good smart people you shouldn't think just because they're out of your sight working at home they've suddenly become maniacs and watch the crown all day it just doesn't work like that do you know what i mean like if they're, if they're in the business and they want to succeed they'll want to succeed outside the office i think the challenge was giving them enough guidance and support um without obviously slipping into full-on zoom quiz mode and making everyone vomit in their mouth so how did you do that no zoom quizzes we like absolutely no. You've got not that on the head straight away. It's like we're not doing that. We're not going back into that. That was everyone's biggest fear: is that we going back into Zoom quizzes? Like summer again? It's like no, we're not. We're not doing that ever again. Like the world could end. We're not doing a Zoom quiz. Yeah. Um, to be fair, the one or two times we did it, it was awesome. Um, so how did we do it? We just. I, I think that the, the key, the key initially was um, 
you know, everyone pulling together around the mission. And um, I think that giving a lot of structure in terms of engagement time. So what I mean by that is that the one of the most stressful things of working at home, um, we found and, and, and I believe, is, is getting calls and Zoom, Zoom invitations from your bosses and colleagues when you're not expecting them. And, you know, in, if you're in the middle of a working working a job, you found two CVs out of the three shortlist that you're looking for. And then you get a call from your boss going, how's the day going? And you're like, just fuck off. Like, just let me get on with my job. Like, I've got no doubt that if I'm called someone in the middle of them working the job, just let me get this shortlist done. Um, and it's stressful. And then they've got to go back and, you know, like start it all over again. And, you know, so, so I think that the best thing we can offer, I think, you know, we could offer our people is consistency and say, look, we're still going to do our Monday kickoff. We're still going to do our Friday roundup. We're still going to do our team whip meetings in these times. And, and we're not going to deviate from that. We're not going to try and roll the dice on our culture. We're just going to try and keep as much structure as possible. And then as a philosophy, avoid impromptu engagement, because then, you know, all day Wednesday, you're not going to get contacted by your, your manager or your boss with their greatest idea. You know, and I've got a lot of shit ones, a lot of bad ideas. And if I phoned everyone constantly with, what about this? We could try this. We could try this. It got to the point where people were actively saying to me, you just got to shut up and let us go on with our jobs. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think that, you know, just, 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 and again, that's the reason we do the week on week off thing. You know, like, you've got to give people certainty. Am I in the office this week or am I not? What's my working routine going to be for the next few days? Not kind of constant change and the managers don't know who's in and who's out. And, and, you know, people don't know whether they're getting up every day and exercising or if they're getting up every day and getting on the tube. Like you've got to give consistency. Yeah. All right. So let's go into, so you talked about, you know, the, the, the investors wanted to back you even further. And then towards the back end of, of last year, um, you got, you know, through the first wave, through the summer, we're going back into lockdowns. Um, and now you've got some ridiculously exciting plans that are moving forward. So one of the biggest piece of news is you bring in Adam Book from Faden out of retirement as the chairman. Tell us what, what, what's that all about? What's happened there? Um, well, I, I mean, obviously, Adam, Adam did well as out of Faden. So I had to go and find him in his, in his garden first in Wimbledon, which is sort of like, <laughs> you know, like, it's, a, it's a long old time to, to track yeah. him down. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, you know, Adam, I guess, you know, he was the guy that created Faden, built it, scaled it, sold it. And, you know, I think that uh, it would be madness, right, not to if we're trying to create a, an organic group and brand model. And he's someone that I, you know, I work with for a long time to not approach him. Uh, about being a habit and seeing if he was interested in you know um doing you know just getting back involved because obviously i didn't know where his headspace was at um i can't speak for him by the way you know it, it obviously you know he's got his own things to say and 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 and, and so I, I won't you know i won't try and say what he thought but i think you know i caught up with him in in the summer this uh well, a few months ago and i just said look i think there's an opportunity to do something really special here like really really special there's there seems to be a moment in time when you know our markets are flying all of our insectors are flying they're gonna they're flying through the pandemic they're gonna fly outside the back of the pandemic our model is working our our, our, tr our business processes and our business financial model is all proving extremely robust our investors are backing us hard on this like there is an opportunity and we, you know while the competition is weakened to to to, to do something incredible um and you know i think that I can't, again, you know, without putting words in his mouth, I, I think he recognised that he founded a Faden after leaving S3 to want to do it bigger, better, faster, and make it more lucrative for people, you know, in, in his business than S3 made it in theirs. And I think that I was essentially following the same path and he recognised that, you know, um, you know, my, I, I wanted to take the things I liked about the Faden journey, but apply things that were different, you know, go bigger, go quicker, 
um, you know, create a, a, a super generous share incentive scheme, an equity scheme that would really reward everyone throughout the business at the top, but also through to some of the more junior levels, because obviously, you know, we had the opportunity to do that from the outset. Um, and, and I think he bought into that that idea, that concept of, of doing it bigger and better and faster. And he's also added some, made some incredible introductions, not least in, in his He's introduced Victoria Maloney um, to our board, um, who, who, who was on the board of S3, um, and, and she's been like an absolute godsend in terms of helping us go through this next stage of journey and being someone that I can lean on in terms of sort of advice. So was that your thought process then, was just having building the A-team around you above to, make, to give you that like protection of mental headspace to be able to lean on people all the time? Instead, uh, of, ringing, instead of ringing all your teams, you can ring them. So... I, I may I believe that I should never ever ever be the smartest person in in the room, and that's not hard to be honest. Um, you know, because I think that you know the second that you feel like there's not better ideas and better people than you in the room, I think you're in the wrong room. And you know, I think that that's not just Adam and Vix um, and what they've brought to the table. It's also the VP. So you know, George relentlessly points out my shortcomings as a leader. Jamie, even more so, relentlessly points out what I'm bad at and has better, better ideas. Alex is better than better with clients than, than I've than I've ever been. Um, and you know, we've uh, we've got more people that have come into the business, like you know, Candy Chung in Singapore, who's an incredible leader and, and understands the APAC market. Aaron Chan's come in from 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 um, from Faden actually, and and you know, is is he, he, I don't understand how people you know achieve the levels that that they did. I've never achieved those levels when it comes to you know do, doing recruitment. Um, and I think that you know that was really the philosophy of, of building a team of people and we've got more people coming into the business in the next couple of weeks as we as we go through the you know the, the process of launching new brands um uh um uh, uh, i don't know but i probably i probably i probably can mention it so, so we've got um claire cooper's joining she's also from faden um she's coming in to, to launch a global health tech recruitment brand sort of you know storm two but in the health tech sector um storm, and, storm, and three. storm three exactly yeah i did i'm not known for my creativity but uh, it was it makes right. sense to me. It's just easier. Um, but but, you know, and I think that when you've got companies like Apple and Facebook and whatever, like, I don't think the name matters. So I mean, it's just how good yeah. the company is. Um, but, you know, she's an inspirational individual and someone that I've you know got massive faith and belief in because I've known her for a really long time. And, and, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited to work with her again. And um, we're also launching Storm 4. Uh, which is a green tech recruitment brand to focus on sustainability and energy technology under Kaylee Bottomley, who's, who's who we've gotten to know more recently from Gravitas. Um, she's been hugely impressive through the process. And, and, and we're also launching a group hub for all the brands out of Amsterdam um, in the next four to six weeks um, under um, Angela Ward, um, who was instrumental in, in, in scaling S3's Benelux business and their long-term success in that region. So I think if you get all those people in a room, and Adam and Vix, like, you know, I get lost in the ballroom sometimes. Like, it's just, there's just so much talent and so many views and so much advice around the room that I think that that was really the purpose. That was, you know, putting that team together, outstanding people, all of whom are mission-driven, all of whom have got experience of building and scaling stuff, and everyone's got a point to prove and, and, and wants to achieve something. Then, you know, and as long as you incentivize people, and, and I think we, we, we pay people incredibly well, I think, you know, we were setting new benchmarks for that and, and getting, creating that, that equity structure um you know it creates quite an exciting environment where realistically you know i could almost kind of get out of people's way rather than trying to control from the front if that makes sense i don't know if that makes sense it makes perfect sense so you talked to me yesterday and you mentioned some ridiculous numbers right you said you're trying to hire 130 people in the next 90 days yeah well i'm not other people are gonna yeah yeah, the business the group of brands yeah yeah what the what 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 
why, how, when, where? Tell us more. So obviously, with you know, it sounds like a mad number, but when you break it out across, you know, Storm Two, Storm Three, Storm Four, um, you know, Singapore, uh, London, uh, uh, Amsterdam, and then New York and the West Coast of America are also on our radar for the next six to, six to nine months. When you break it out across that many leaders and that many locations and brands, it's actually not that much. Like right. it's 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 a huge number. It's a huge thing to say. We're going from sixty people today to two hundred people by the end of April. And we will do that number. Like that is that that is where we will get to. And we've got huge internal recruitment efforts happening behind the scenes. Um, but um, you know, it, it, I don't think it's actually a really good time to get hold of people, right? People are available to interview. People are sitting at home. There's lots of good talent out there. There's there's really really smart people. Not, lots of lots of grads with no no opportunity or lack of opportunity. Yeah, or, or, or yeah, or, or just in opportunities that they don't necessarily believe in as much, and they want to jump on a faster moving train. So I think that you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's good talent out there, and, and we're in a position to capitalise on it, thanks to you know the work that's been done so far in the business and, and and the investors' belief and the team that have come on board. So yeah, we're just we're just in a good situation to be able to capitalise on this, as I said earlier, this moment in time. And the the vision you mentioned for the two year anniversary, where do you want to be in August? It's not a vision because I sort of have to do it now because because a lot of these people have joined. They've left their companies. They've left their business. They've walked away from stuff to come and join this plan. So if I don't deliver on it, like, I'll have a lynch mob after me. So I think and that's what keeps me. That's what really keeps me up at night is like letting everyone down. So I think that, um, you know, I, I, I would hang my hat out on the record and say that by, you know, by by end of April, early May, we'll, you know, by our sort of, you know, 20, 20 to 21st month anniversary will be over 200 people and by august will be knocking on the door of 300 people by their second anniversary from inception um which is again you know it, it seems scary but we're just taking it a week at a what's time your, so. what's your like time from hire to like making money for for a graduate coming in because that that's a lot of people that will be costing you money for for that period of time Yes, lots of people costing us lots of money. That is, yeah, that is, yeah, it is, it is, it is scary. But it's only, it's just economies of scale. Um, so the average time tends to be somewhere around the twelve to fourteen week mark on average, which I think is relatively industry standard. I don't think we're set. I don't think we're set in the world alike for time to build. I think that where where our people really kick on is is they then make a lot, you know, make deals quite quickly after that and 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 get promoted quite quickly. Um, which again, because we're at that sort of young scaling stage we're able to promote people really quickly give opportunity and and and, and progression really quickly and, and and also we've not got huge you know historical overheads and le- like you know put 30 40 000 square foot leases that we have to pay for so we can actually pay really really well do you know what i mean because we could be freed the money up we haven't got all this like fixed cost underneath what's the leg- office leg- what is your office strategy in terms of how are you going to do that now uh so i think that it's a tough question. I don't really know. I've got there are there are there are routes we could take. I think that ultimately most of enjoying being in recruitment is your colleagues, right? It, it's 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 the team, it's the buzz, it's the interaction, it's the competition. Like, that's what people live for. Um, I think. Um, so I think in some capacity we 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 will need to have an office. Um, you know, our office at the moment in London only houses fifty odd people. We'll need one at least three times that size in a few months' time, and. And as I said, we've got a really good partner in Night Frank who, who help us go on that journey. Um, and and the, 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 we are, we're in a brilliant building who are very flexible. You know, we're, we're in um, in Story at British Land in, in uh, Liverpool Street. And, 
yeah, like when you've got, you know, when you've got partners like that who are willing to go on the journey with you and help you scale and be flexible and offer you solutions, you don't need to make decisions. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I think we're in a good situation to be flexible and react maybe a, a month or two out rather than sitting there thinking, how are we going to get out of this long term lease? Um, so, um, uh, yeah, at the moment, I, I don't know. I think I will know more in two months time, hopefully with everyone else. But the plan is definitely to keep some quite, you know, quite a lot of office in office interaction even if it, we might go back to every other week do you know what i mean that seems to be quite a nice balance but i'll, t- I'll take it we'll take a what's the word a temperature test on it you know see what people yeah. want to do Health that's check. it what's the what does the leadership team structure look like under you at 200 people what have you got in your mind i mean i, I don't I, I, uh what does it look like so again i think that we've you know it's, it's a very flat structure it's an incredibly flat structure that we've got you know we don't we're very careful not to create like a hierarchical corporate system where you've got like a million yeah. titles, um, which is why everyone's a VP. You know, every, everyone, everyone that's in a leadership role is a VP. You know, there's, there is no kind of um, if you've got a room where you've got, you know, an asso- to, to a couple of associate directors, a couple of directors, a couple of executive directors, a couple of managing directors, etc. What you find is that everyone's in the room because they're smart. Right. Everyone deserves to be in that room. Everyone is smart and got stuff to offer and good ideas. But the ADs won't challenge the directors and the directors won't challenge the EDs and the EDs won't challenge the MDs and so on. And let alone, you know, two levels above, which is suffocating to ideas and feedback both ways and, and, and people, you know, being able to contribute around the room and give their advice and, 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 their, and their input. But it also suffocates positive reinforcement because it's pretty patronising for an AD to turn around to an MD and say, I think that's a really good idea. That's a really good plan. Well done. You know, it's almost it almost sounds weird. It feels weird to sort of, you know, give upward yeah. encouragement and feedback whereas if everyone's around the table on a level playing field then everyone feels you know the, the opportunity to say that's a really good idea that's a really good idea. i think you should go ahead and do that and also i'm not so sure about that i don't think you should do that whereas you know and it encourages that discussion so and underneath that you know pretty standard we've got you know um consultants managing consultants um and then managers and then directors like that they, 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 that's sort of the four levels up to the vp system but at the moment it's pretty fluid i don't think we need to create a, a ladder with a business that's only 60 people, you know, it only gets sticky a bit later when you get to four, five, six, seven hundred people, and then all of a sudden you've got to have a million levels and it just gets convoluted. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you, you've mentioned on on a numerous occasions the vision, the mission, that people are bought into the mission. Tell us what what is this mission, right? I'm getting the impression it's, you know, it's the fastest growing recruitment company, but what, what's the actual mission? How do you explain it when people are sat in front of you? <laughs> Uh, I mean, the mission, the mission is to build an incredible business like that. That, that is the mission that, like, that's the, that you know, the, the mission is to be is to build something that everyone can put their name to and be proud of that. that first and foremost, like, I think I think because I think if you build an incredible business, the money comes with it, you know, and, and, and the success comes with it. If you just focus on building an awesome business where people want to be and they want to be a part of that journey. Um, you know, I think obviously there are future opportunities for us around exits and payouts and that's the reason we've we've we've, we've created this you know um, we spent a lot of time and energy and money creating the share incentive scheme and an equity scheme to incentivize everyone but you know we're a business we haven't we haven't been through our first exit or second exit yet um and that tends to be where the proper money's made you know throughout the business rather than just at the very top which happens later um and i think that you know i, I think in spreading some of the wealth throughout the business it means that everyone's supercharged to really grow something quickly and, and, and hit targets um so obviously in terms of tangibility we've got a huge amount of collective experience around the boardroom with adam as our chairman puff in point who are the lead investors in spencer ogden and their sale to private equity victoria maloney from her time at s3 
um, and, 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 and the role I played at Faden in, in launching companies, scaling them globally and going through successful transactions. Um, so I think there's a very good opportunity for everyone to do very well here in the future, not too distant future, hopefully. But it's not, I don't think, you know, someone asked me the other day, well, what's your plan in all this? And I said, I, I don't really like, I think my, you know, this isn't just about building something to sell and exit or whatever in the future. This is about building something which is incredible, seen as unprecedented, is something that is, you know, everyone's super proud to go home and say they were a part of. Um, something that reflects the world we live in, in terms of the way we work, diversity, um, you know, all, all the way through the business, trusting and you know, being a trusting and empowering business and, and letting people get on with stuff. Um, and then we'll see what our options are in the future. You know, and the better business, the better business we build, the more options we'll have. So let, if we focus on that, you know, the rest of it should take care of itself at, at, at some point. I'm not, you know, rather than setting the destination now and, you know, creating... Yeah rules parameters well, it's not, it just reminds me of like man city in football like you know brilliant it's just if you look at the infrastructure in that club my club but if you look at the way they've done it the way they've the way they've like the city i live like five minutes from the city football academy and it's unbelievable the facilities obviously they want to win everything and they you know they want to make financial gains but they're building just an incredible club like they're building and the, and the way that they've got that franchise model around the world in melbourne and china and india and just building a, an unprecedented club and it, it feels a bit like that in the way that you've you've got the cash you've got the expertise and you just you're just saying fuck off to all the kind of traditional ways of doing things and think why not it's like yeah, a why I, I, in many ways we are a lot like liverpool yeah you're right yeah it, it, that's that's, liverpool. that's <laughs> exactly you're exactly correct yeah so what what would you say you've got wrong in the last 18 months? Like, what, what would you not do again? That, it's, it's lucky you asked that question close to the end because I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, that, that, that we could have spent half, the, half of this discussion talking about the errors that I made. Um, uh, or actually, no, if, everyone, if, the other, if everyone's taking accountability for the success, they can take the, they can take the problems too. Um, I mean, so many, so many mistakes. Uh, uh, I think... We got some of our verticals wrong initially. I think we relied too much on like researching what good areas to were to go after rather, you know, rather than just, there's a lot of stuff out there. Like what's a really good part of the market to go after on paper. It looks good, but until you're actually doing it, you know, um, you, you don't really know if it's any good for your business or not, or the right kind of margins or, 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 or you know, recruitment style. Um, so we should have just basically, you know, trusted our trusted our instincts, got on the phones, made deals, and then be success led that way, rather than creating a structure off of paper. Um, I think we probably should have panicked less in terms of our, you know, um, our our initial approach. I think we probably dropped our pants a bit on margins, and you know, and 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 you know, um, and probably signed some bad terms, and you know, signed up to things that just weren't good for the business because we weren't sure if it was going to work. Like, you know, I can say it now, but you know. You're just like, yeah, a client, brilliant. Get on board. What's the, what's the, don't, it doesn't matter. We'll do it for free. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you just, yeah. And I think we probably should have just backed ourselves a bit more. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that, we, again, we probably should have diversified globally a bit quicker. We spent a lot of time working in the UK market because it's, it's easy, you know, it's on your doorstep. You almost think you should, you know, it's almost a bit like a restaurant at the end of your road that you go to all the time because it's there, but you don't really enjoy it. That's like the London market, right? You know, it, 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 it's, it's okay. It's a pretty good market. There are some wins to have in, in, in the market, but it's very saturated in terms of other recruiters and, and they, that really drives the quality and, 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 and uh, down across the industry. It gives us a bad name amongst the end clients in the fintech world. And I, actually feel, I feel sorry for fintech companies in London that are constantly getting bombarded from, you know, so many different angles that aren't specialists. So, you know, we, 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 we learned the hard way and we ended up pushing out overseas into places like mainland Europe and North America. 
um, uh, probably a bit later than we should have done. They're, they're three big ones, but I can send you an email list of every other one at a later date. And there's well, more. Think- there's more. It's an ongoing problem. I think we're we're definitely going to have you back on uh, in August to see if you if you do what you've said you've done. I need to hold you accountable now, and for my listeners' benefit, I need to have you back in. Um, yeah. But um, what I guess what would you? What's the one piece of advice you'd give anyone who's listening, who's a recruitment owner, who's thinking, "Fuck me, you've inspired me today." Like I'm, you know, I've been, I've got a decent business. I've not probably thought about the growth scale at the same pace. I've thought of more of the classic organic growth. What advice would you give someone who's interested in thinking about, you know, maybe do, doing similar things? Uh, I, uh, if I had to pick one piece, um, I, I, I think that, I mean, the, okay, there, there are three rules that I live by. One of them already mentioned, which is one, surround yourself with people that threaten you in a good way. Surround yourself with people that are better than you and tell them they're better than you and let them get on with it. Right. That's the first thing. Don't try and be the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, and, and, and secondly, I would say, you know, if you're a recruitment business owner and you're about to go on a journey, like you've got to keep the people, you've got to keep your family close to you because you're going to need them. Like you are going to need them. Like, you know, there are very few people that will take you for who you are, but you know, and I'm fortunate, not just in my family, but close friends of mine that, you know, I'm still just like, brownie the lad from school that just they'll just call me out on shit that you know they're just like yeah and 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 i think that's good because you don't get it doesn't all become a bit too serious do you know what i mean it's not there are actual problems in the last 12 months you know i mean the pandemic has shown what's really important which is health Mm. and family and and you know recruitment's like we're not building a nuclear rocket we're not sending people to the moon here like yeah yeah, we've got a noble mission but but i think it's got to be kept in you know you've got to keep it in what you call it uh perspective and then the, the third thing, which is personal to me, is just read, read, read about every single person that's built a successful business in the past and just take something from every book. Like, you know, I, I've read books from, from terrible entrepreneurs and some really good ones, but there's something in every one. And, um, you know, it, it's good. To, it's also good when you read about people that have done incredible things and you read about their dark days and how they've got it all wrong. And you're like, OK, it's not just me. You know, uh, it, it is meant to feel really, really difficult from the outset. Wicked. James. I've loved it. Fifty-eight minutes, and uh, I think we could have carried on all day, to be honest. But uh, I've got, uh, I've got, uh, I've got a lot going on, and so have you. But I want to say thank you. Look, you know, I've loved watching your journey. I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, you, you're inspiring me. You know, as I'm as you're talking, my brain is ticking and thinking, what do I need to do in my business and things I can change. I, I you know, the people watching live on LinkedIn, I imagine you've you've managed to do similar things for them. Um, in uh, if, if anyone does watch today or listen back on the podcast, YouTube, et cetera, um, would, are you open to a quick chat if they wanted to just pick your brains? I know you're busy, but if they reach out to you on, is LinkedIn the best place? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of you to say so uh, initially. Um, hopefully I haven't put my foot in it too much with with, with people that I know that I've, that I've referred to. But uh, yeah, of, of course, you know, I, I think that, you know, in recruitment, especially uh You've got to be, what's it, honour amongst thieves. You know, everyone's got, to, everyone's, everyone's got to stick together and give each other advice because we get enough heat from the outside world. So, Agreed. Um, yeah, of, uh, absolutely, of course. Lovely. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now 
both managing the brands, producing content, building written, video, podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.